Welcome to New View Advice, a safe place for you to ask your most vulnerable questions about life, relationships, healing, and so much more. I'm your host, Amanda DeRocher, and I believe our fears and traumas are often what hold us back from living life to the fullest. Join me here each week as I offer advice on how to move through whatever is holding you back from being your best self. Let's get started. Hey there, beautiful souls. My name is Amanda, and this is New View Advice. If you're new here, today's episode is actually different than our usual format. Usually I am answering listener questions and offering advice on how to connect back to our hearts. But today's episode is actually an interview I did back in March with Sophia Wiseone, who is a beautiful soul I met in October 2021 at She Podcast Live. When I went to She Podcast Live, I thought that I was going to learn how to market my podcast, how to monetize it and all these things. And instead, it ended up being a spiritual experience for me. It ended up giving me the strength and courage and the confirmation that I was on the right path and that this podcast is exactly what it's supposed to be and that everything is just going to be all right. One of the reasons She Podcast Live was such a transformative experience for me is because of Sophia Wise One. So I'm really excited that she is the one who will be having this conversation with me about shame. When I was at She Podcast Live, I went to a talk with Sophia and her topic was shame and it was really healing for me and everyone else in the room. So I'm just very excited for you all to listen to this episode. Today, we don't answer questions. Instead, we discuss shame. We discuss how to identify shame, how to heal shame. And we've talked about how shame has arised in our own lives and how lifting the veil of shame has helped us to heal and grow. So before we get started, I just want to offer a quick introduction to Sophia. Sophia Wise One is a speaker, singer, mentor, transformational storyteller. She's the host of three globally top-ranking podcasts, Vagina Talks, Medicine Caller, and Temple Erotica, Stories of Sacred Sexuality. She supports and trains transformational professionals to trust and optimize their impact through life and world-changing healing circles. A professional medicine caller for over 20 years and trained in over 20 different modalities, she offers her wisdom in an approachable and powerful way. And before we jump in, I just want to take a moment to thank Sophia for being here and for having this vulnerable conversation with me. I found this conversation to be healing for my own heart, and I hope that everyone who listens is able to take away something new about themselves or about shame in general. And Sophia, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your heart, and thank you so much for the work you do. Hello. Hi, Sophia Wise One. Thank you for being here. Hello. Today we are going to be talking about healing from shame, which I am so excited to talk about and I'm super passionate about. Healing from shame is, it's been so life-changing for me and it's something I'm still on the journey of. I think that Healing from shame is a lifelong journey. I think it's so ingrained in our culture. We'll talk about that. And it's so ingrained in how children are raised in the school systems. It's funny to say, like, I'm excited to talk about shame because it's one of those topics people don't like to talk about. I love it. I love it. I'm sitting here just like, oh, my gosh, did you just say those words? (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Me too. Yeah. And I'm invited Sophia on today because when we met at She Podcast Live in the fall and I went to your presentation, your talk, and it was about shame. And I can't really even remember it, but I remember how I felt, right? So that's what really 
called to me when I was thinking of this episode because I was like, I can't really remember what it was about, but I know it was about shame. And I know I left feeling empowered and feeling Mm. like, hell yeah. And being like, I love this woman. I love seeing people doing this work out in the world. I remember going to She Podcast Live and thinking I was going to go learn how to market a podcast. Uh And instead, I had a complete spiritual experience because I met Sophia Wise One. And that's my introduction. (laughs) So I would love for you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Amanda. Amazing introduction. I appreciate it deeply. I love podcast conferences. I have found them to be consistently transformative spiritual experiences. Now, that's like a little bit of a cheat sheet for me because that's my job every day is to experience (laughs) reality as a transformative spiritual experience. I have made it my job and it is my job and I show up to it every day. So, you know, like anyone's story, we can always start anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can start anywhere. But I love to just throw in there that I came into this world with a lot of memories and a lot of stories, as soon as I could talk, I was telling my parents about what it was like before I came here to earth. And I grew up in a household that not only believed me, but remembered those stories and told them back to me as I grew up. And I feel like that's a really important foundational piece to share when people kind of look at me and go, like, how did you get here? (laughs) A, I've studied a lot. I've paid a lot of people. I've followed a lot of teacher. I've cried a lot of cries. I've laughed a lot of laughs. I've done a lot of art. And I got here so fast, I put in quotations, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because there was a realness to my spirit that was not shamed Mm. or denied from very early on, which meant that when I stepped out of my home and it got shame and denied, there was an insulating bubble that said, okay, but some places this is safe, this is real. And so, you know, I had a mental health breakdown when I was 19, like you do sometimes, Mm -hmm. like some of us do, lost my God-loving mind and dropped out of college and went to a lot of things, worked as a haunt in a haunted house and as a hospice companion and as a nanny. And then I went to massage school. I followed my hands. And my spiritual training, I always refer to as being patchwork. So I don't come from one specific lineage. I've studied with many, many teachers. And in that process and many lineages, I've learned the consistent components that Mm. go into healing. Right. So each lineage has their language, has their medicine. Each land on the earth has their plants, has their stories of the elements or the seasons, as the teachers, has the myths. Right. But there's consistency across all of them. Like, learn how to regulate your breath, Mm -hmm. move your body, watch your thoughts. mind your words, (laughs) right? Like touch other people with care and loving presence. It will make a difference, right? So these very basic components, and then they go deeper and deeper. For instance, cupping, the therapy Mm -hmm. cupping form is found all over the globe. These like medicine healing practices are found all over the place. So through my study of many places, I have found what I have begun to call like the one lineage, which is that like as it takes form specific to place and people and understanding, there are these core pulses that I think we're all looking to 
I want to say we're all looking to master, but that's not true. Those of us who are looking to master it are looking to master it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not actually as interested as I am obsessed. So turns out I didn't know that was true, but it turns out it's only some of us. But if you're listening, we are with us right now. I feel like you're, we're in the we boat, right? Like we're very, (laughs) we're in, we're in it, in it to win it. As I say, I'm a nerd in case you haven't noticed. And I'll say one more thing about me to throw in here because I just really like this component, which is that one of the major places that I learned about community, transformative healing, healing circles, and channeling energy and messages was through live action role playing at a fantasy adventure camp that I did as a teenager and then co-owned and ran for 12 years. It was my kind of first entrepreneurial adventure into the world was running a summer camp and after school programs and weekend programs. And it was through playing and really playing that I began to feel the numinousness, the mystery, the magic that is available to us in any any moment, like the power of pretending and being like, oh my God, did you just feel that? Did you just see that? Like we cast a fairy circle and all the mosquitoes left. I love that. So that's a little bit about me. I love that. That's such a great intro. There's so much there. What came to mind at the end was I wanted to touch on that creative play aspect because I think that that's so beautiful because I found that in my own life. I feel like in my younger years, I was not a creative person, which is so funny for me to say because I consider myself a creatrix. That's how I flow. That's who I am. That's what I'm here to do. But I feel like talking about shame, I was sort of shamed out of creativity. And I think so many of us are shamed out of our creativity. And like you said, it wasn't until I started screenwriting and acting, I moved to LA to be an actress, and then I discovered screenwriting, that I realized how healing it was to live in my imagination. And I realized how the stories I wrote were just as much for me as for everyone else that I hope one day will see them on screen and read them. But creativity is so beautiful, and it's one of those things that I feel like we've programmed ourselves out of here on earth. Yeah, I'm a real, 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 real big advocate of understanding that we as individual beings have not programmed ourselves out of creativity, that there has been like a long centuries deep pursuit to undermine that which liberates our being and turns us into controllable. Hi, welcome to this part of me turns us into controllable machines, you know, either baby making machines, you know, industrial revolution changed that land was no longer the source of wealth people Mm. were, right? And so that's when turning people into people making machines became a huge thing. Factories became the source of wealth and control. And so there was a, a huge push. And even that is, I think, more recent than the deep, deep seeds of really undermining and attacking the power center in each of our beings. And I feel like this is incredibly important. The link between creativity and shame is immense. It's Mm -hmm. huge because one of the things, I'll just go a little basic shame teaching here. Yes. Could you introduce everybody who might not know what shame is? Could you give a quick intro of what shame is? Great. So quick intro, my understanding and my framework, words, words are boats and they carry a knowing, an experience, like a a vibrational understanding, a state of being. And we like send them like little boats across the the world to each other, right? And hoping that we're carrying something. And so sometimes it can be really helpful to, we say, define our terms, right? So when I use the word shame, 
there's not just the definition in the in the books, but it's also like how it's being used. So I like to be really specific about this. So for instance, the first distinction I want to make is the difference between guilt and shame. And this is largely educated and brought forth into the mass popular culture by our beloved Brene Brown. Yes. And that is that guilt is feeling bad about something that you did and shame is feeling bad about who you are, okay? Guilt is about like, oh, I really wish I didn't do that thing. And then all sorts of degrees. Low-grade guilt is like, oh, I'll do a thing to fix it. High-grade guilt is, you know, like a complex thing. Shame is goes deep into a place of I'm bad. And when we're really honest, and people can get a little upset with me about this kind of dramatic level that I go to, it's like it would be better if I wasn't here mm-hmm. is like the honest, honest place. And that's shame. And so when I talk about shame, the power of shame is rooted in secrecy. Mm-hmm. Shame thrives in being hidden. And one of my teachers, Shunasi Rose, spoke from her teacher, who I always just take a moment to just like bless that teacher's name, who has like not made it through the the memory traps for me. But that shame is not processed. Shame is lifted. Mm. Shame is not processed the way that grief is processed, the way that we move it through the system. Shame is lifted. And it's lifted through exposure Shame is the blanket that covers the wound. Yes, yes. Shame is the blanket that covers the wound. And so it's covering the wound and it's lifted through witnessing. And that witnessing can be any real witnessing. Like if you have a deep connection to plants or stones or the river or anything like that and you take your shame story, an aspect that you're really ashamed of, expose it there, that can be very transformative. The other places I like to say plant animal, spiritual, or human, or specifically humane. So specifically Mm -hmm. the right place. And Brene Brown talks about who's worthy enough to hear your shame story. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the blanket that covers the wound, what's inside that wound, what happens when we lift the blanket is natural healing occurs. Our being, our body, our spirit, our whole self works consistently to move into equilibrium. That's how it's designed. We want to heal. That's our design. So when we expose things that are out of balance or wounded, all aspects, all mechanisms given space and opportunity will begin to work to regulate, okay, to make action, to bring in consciousness. The emotional system is its own digestive system, its own intelligence system. So it's a way to experience something, digest it, pull out what's useful, and then release what's not digestive system. Okay. Intelligent system. It does that in a discerning way that says, this is useful. This is not useful. And when we trust the whole digestive system of the emotional body or the emotional aspects of the being, then we will have a new sense and experience of everything. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. We're changed by it. That's what that deep, deep process of really processing a feeling is. And it doesn't have to be a big dramatic change. It's just a subtle thing. This is where we grow compassion. Okay. So take the blanket up, expose the wound. In the nugget there, most of the time, and this is very, it's like I go in here very gently. We're jumping into pretty advanced stuff right off the bat here. Okay. Inside the shame, many people have shame about things that they feel bad about, right? that they have guilt about. But a lot of shame is rooted in something that we enjoy mm. and that we were told 
we were supposed to feel bad about. Mm. And that's where we go, oh, best keep that hidden. Yeah. And it's incredibly sensitive because it's a very important component when we're working courageously with our shame, because not only do we need to expose the hurt and the wound or the broken of our innocence, because that happens a lot. Like we do something that comes from a lack of consciousness Mm -hmm. and then it hurts someone and we are like, oh, I'm bad, right? I didn't mean to Mm -hmm. hurt someone right? And then there's like a shame response that can happen. But to really liberate ourselves and to come into empower in our creativity and our joy place, finding that tiny piece of the innocence or the part that felt good, right? That Mm -hmm. led to it. You know, sometimes people have a lot of shame with being in relationships that were really painful, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like we're in them and I'll speak for myself, a couple chapters that I had in there of like really just being like, this is, I mean, that was my drug of choice for a long time was like the highs and lows of relationship mess. And so I would come out of it and I would feel a lot of shame. And I'd be like, you know, what was that? And it's like, I couldn't really heal and reconcile all of it until I was like, oh, this precious hope that I could feel whole (laughs) in the face Mm -hmm. of someone else's suffering, which is like, goes really deep. So this feel, I feel like I got a little lost in this one a little bit somehow, but hopefully there's some usefulness in it. There definitely is. I like how you called relationships your drug of choice. For me, when you were talking, what came to mind was that alcohol was my drug of choice. And I went sober a little over a year ago and I worked with the shame that would arise while I was drinking, but it wasn't until I gave up alcohol because it was like I finally stopped blanketing the wounds. Like that's kind of what I saw was I would look at the shame and I would look at what would come up and why I would drink, but it wasn't until I gave up alcohol that all those things I was blanketing were able to come to the surface for my attention and my compassion, like you said. That's right. For me, being raped was a big reason I drank. So many beliefs get attached to that, right? A big one was the fear of being seen. So drinking alcohol was a way for me to blend in I felt like, and it was a way for me to dim my light. There was so much attached to it. And and then it wasn't till I released myself of alcohol that I no longer shamed myself for drinking because it's kind of like what you were saying was Mm. the shame that would arise for me is like, I'm an adult. I'm supposed to be able to handle my booze. Why am I blacking out? I feel shame. Right. I often refer to alcohol and other drugs of, of choice or non-choice for that matter, but as mute buttons. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a very important, and I don't want to put this on you, but I'm saying like as an example, and so maybe this is a question of like, there's a relief, right? There's like mm-hmm. a wisdom, there's a kindness to self when you're in your suffering to find a mute button. Yes. I often talked about drinking with my therapist before I gave it up. And she would always be like, can you just be kind to yourself that like what you're dealing with right now, you don't have any other tools or I didn't feel like it at the time. So I, like a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh, your sober journey looks so easy. It wasn't easy, but it was that I gathered the tools on how to deal with my triggers before I gave up alcohol. I didn't go cold turkey and then not have the tools. Right. Yeah. And some people can do that. I've walked a lot of people through that process. People that have worked with me often come in that in-between space, right? Where they're like, I have enough consciousness to watch my suffering 
to say I want out, but I'm not out yet, right? Like I need Mm -hmm. more healing. I need more tools. I need more resources to get out. Um, And a lot of people come to me after they get sober, right? Mm -hmm. They like have that moment and then they're just like, okay, now I'm like in that healing, like you said, with the mute button, taking that mute button off. And it's really, oh my God, there's no wrong way to heal yourself, forgive yourself, find yourself, forgive your parents, forgive your rapist, forgive your culture, forgive Mm -hmm. the war and the centuries on our medicine people. There's no wrong way to quiet the suffering when you don't know how to get out. And there's no wrong way to heal it when you have the courage and the miracle and the method that can access you. My experience doing this transformative healing work for over 20 years If it was literally the same thing for every person, that would be its own thing, right? Mm -hmm. And there's elements, like I said, that are the same, right? Regulate Mm -hmm. your breath. Find out your words. You know, like what do you say to yourself in your head? What do you say out your mouth? Like these are the tools that are pretty much the same, but Mm -hmm. it's not linear and there's not an order in which you do them because we're a cosmos, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're a complex system and the knots that get tied. So this is, we're going a little shame piece here. Okay. So one of the things that happens with shame is that you throw a blanket over something and then because we're not isolated beings, right? Have this image of of a net, okay? Like a big net. And one knot in the net is this experience that you're like, "Oh, better keep this hidden," right? So you throw a blanket over it, right? But then you walk around on the net. This is your life. You're moving around. And so you tug on the strings that touch that knot, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you start going like, "Oh, But if I pull too hard, it will pull out from underneath that blanket, right? Mm -hmm. So what starts to happen is either the blanket gets bigger or that knot starts to wrap itself and pull that net tighter and tighter and tighter. And so something that was on the other side of the room a million miles away, right, Mm -hmm. is now completely wrapped up in that knot and covered by a blanket. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's fascinating about healing shame is that when we take that blanket off and it starts to unravel and that net unravels, we get so much more of ourselves Mm -hmm. that we didn't know. I have this one shame story. I learned to do internal pelvic floor work and therapeutically holistic pelvic care is what it's called. Tammy Kent, whoop, whoop. very powerful, very powerful for people healing menstrual issues or uh, sexual abuse issues. I'm pretty sure almost everybody on this planet is navigating those things. Mm-hmm. And please stand by system loading. Right. I learned that was literally like a shame pocket. That was like literally like what happened here. I was like, oh, this, we're going into this medicine. So I learned pelvic floor work. And then I went back to my state of Pennsylvania as a licensed massage therapist. I did all this research and I was like, is this within my scope of practice? Am I allowed to do this work? And I did this research and I did this research and I met with a lawyer and I was talking to insurance companies and I was like, I'm going to make sure this is, it's so funny to think about now. I'm going to make sure this is like inside my scope of practice. Well, I couldn't figure it out and nobody would give me an answer. So later what I did years later, just like as a side note, was I wrote this letter and I sent it to the board in hard copy and an email form and in documented witness CC form like five times. And when I got no response, I said, 
anybody ever comes at me, that's some due diligence right there. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote a thing that said, this is why it is within my scope of practice. And I was like, you don't want to say it is or it isn't, but I obviously did my part and just being like, I'm going to move forward in a good sense about it. So that's what I did. I don't know. I can't tell you whether that does anything about it, but just sharing that, how I got around that in states where it was ambiguous. So I did the work, but I only did the work with close friends as clinicals, as practice. And then slowly I did the work. Really, it got more and more in secret because I was waiting to hear if it was legal, right? Mm -hmm. And two years went by since I did this training and I didn't publicly tell people I did it. So I moved to New Mexico, launch a business, that bombed. Like good old body work saves the day. <laughs> and I'm applying to get my New Mexico massage license. And I go boop, boop, boop. And there it is, clear as day. Scope of practice. If you're trained to do it, you can go work the musculature and the fascia and the tissue. Go do your job if you know how to do it. And I wept. Mm. I wept. And I have a video that's, I think, called confession sessions like from 2014 or 2015 in which I tell the story. And I say, I'm doing this work. This is an example of how important this work is. I spent two years doing it in secret and it was transforming people's lives and I couldn't talk about it out of fear. And what happened was I loved the work so much right? Mm -hmm. But I was like hiding it and hiding it. And what happened every day for weeks was something else about myself and my life would unwrap in me. Mm. And the day after I told the world that I did this work, I started singing in the mornings. Like I'd wake up and I would just be like singing to myself. And I was like, I haven't done this in years. Mm. And so when we talk about that creative, right? Like there's no direct link between me singing to myself in the morning and telling the world that I go inside vaginas and anuses to heal lineage and ancestral and physical mm -hmm. issues, right? But they went right together and my life force got tangled, mm -hmm. tangled in that. Yeah. I love that. And I completely relate because I had never thought of it as the net you had described, but I love that visual because that's really what happens, the tangling. You know, I always describe it as the layers. So it's like you start with one layer and then you're like, I didn't know this layer was under that layer. And this right. layer, how is this connected to that? But it's like you said, it's because it all gets mixed up and it does. It usually starts with lifting the shame and then the layers, you start to be able to process them and see them. And lift them. Yeah. They reveal. I always, I just do, I think about a tangled, like a fine gold necklace that gets tangled in itself and how you rolling it in your fingers, mm -hmm. right? Like a chain, any chain necklace, right? Like how you gently roll it in your fingers and it's just this like knotted thing and it's chained and it's kinked and it's in there. And then as it comes undone, it's like you undo one mm -hmm. piece, right? And then it's like half the work gets undone, mm -hmm. right? In like one unmove. And then all these little tiny micro moves, micro moves, micro moves. And so I think about that knotted space of being like you untie one thing and it's like whoosh, all this stuff becomes revealed. One of the cards in my deck is reveal to heal. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially my shame card. You know, it's this idea. And one of the things that's so powerful about revealing to heal is that especially when we have a deep spiritual practice, exposure can happen both by opening up and taking things and putting them outside of us, right? Like sharing a story or making art or doing something that we're afraid to mm -hmm. do, okay? So for instance, if you remember from early on in your discovering of your body that you like loved to 
lick your finger and put it really deep in your ear. It soothed you and made you feel really good. But then at some point you were like, oh, that's like, you can't put your, that's weird. Like that's too Mm -hmm. far. So you stop, right? Mm -hmm. Doing that. You can tell a story about it, right? You can make art about it. You can expose it in that way. Or you can gather the courage to just start Mm -hmm. doing it again, right? And just being like, oh, this feels really good, right? All of those ways are ways to kind of heal it and and move it and and move it forward. And I'll say, if you go to do things that you know you want to do and you just can't, often there's a shame hook pulling you back. And so taking the time to go and look around at that. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I did an episode a few weeks ago where somebody asked a question. They were like, I want to content create, but I can't get myself to take that next step. Because I do believe, like you said, I think sometimes you just have to do action. I think sometimes just taking that step. But I've found with my own journey, since I experienced so much trauma at a young age, sometimes the action is just, I'm unable to. I will self-sabotage to the end of time and I will go straight into freeze response. So I can't do anything. Yeah. I'm a real advocate of trading this self-sabotage language, which is and this isn't towards you, I'm like really having a moment about it of just being like, that Mm -hmm. is some victim blaming bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like that is called self-protection. That's what that is. I go into self-protection, which is freeze, shut down. You know, I used to go catatonic. I would get really activated. I would, I just remember my brother would bind me standing in a room still. And I love my brother and he would just wrap his arms around me. He would just squeeze me and start to move my body until I'd move. Or when it would happen to myself, I'd just stand there and I'd be like, move, Sophia, move, move, like move anything, move anything, you know? And sometimes I could, sometimes it would pass. Sometimes someone would have to find me. Go catatonic. Well, when I did a lot of healing of my trauma, I stopped physically having activations, which is Mm. the word that I use for instead of trigger. I wouldn't physically go catatonic, Mm. but I noticed that I would mentally go catatonic. And that's what I just happened. We had a little a little example of that where when it first happened, I thought, oh, that's good. She'll cut this out. But of course, here we are talking about this long pause that I had which was my brain. It's a self-protection response that was like, are we really going to talk about? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's my grief, right? The years in which you just tangled yourself in fear yeah. of being prosecuted and being taken away from working with teens, which was the most important thing to me for so long. I was just like, someone comes after me like, and I'm not allowed to be. I was so afraid. And I have a very different take on all of that now of just being I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older and so my peers are moms. So it's, you know, that space. So yeah, that self-sabotage is self-protection. Now, is it effective self-protection in terms of, is it thriving self-protection? No. Is it Mm -hmm. defensive self-protection? Yes. Right. And the process of, I think this is a really, really big piece of just being like this notion, I get really worked up about coaches out there. This is another shame piece about coaches or empowerment work out there that loves Mm -hmm. to push the just do it button. Just push past, just do it, just do it, just do it. And I'm just like, you know what you don't need? Another voice in your life. Another bully in your life telling you that you're taking too long and that your trauma is not real. You don't need that. Now, is trauma real in terms of a spiritual perspective? Like, has God ever left me? No. Have I ever been Mm -hmm. injured right? In any of my lifetimes, I have a deep, very real sense, right? Have I ever been truly broken? Even though I do believe that I have had soul splitting experiences over and over and over again, do I believe that in that way, I am absolutely blessed and part of a divine, magnificent, incomprehensible experience? Yes. And is innocence being harmed 
intentionally or unintentionally, biochemically, and very real in this earth plane manifested Mm -hmm. trauma shit real? Yes. Yes. And you absolutely can hold Mm -hmm. both those perspectives at the same time and make space for very, very real healing. And sometimes it will take a little bit longer than the just do it button. But what happens is who we are when Mm -hmm. we do it is more of ourselves. What we do when we heal shame, what we do when we heal ourselves is we get ourselves back. And then ourself, who's like, I want to do it, can say to the part that goes, I'm scared. What are you scared Mm -hmm. about? What do you need? Right? When we don't have the resources to take care of ourselves because we weren't taught Mm -hmm. to do that, we were taught to deny ourselves, right? Then the way we save ourselves is by shutting down in lots of ways. Right. Yeah. When you were talking, I also thought of that big concept that I play with in my head is victim, how people say you're not a victim. And yes, in the big scheme of life, I am not a victim. I am an aspect of God. But at the same time, when I was raped, I was a victim. And when the trauma lives in my body, I continue to be a victim. And yes, I'm also a survivor because I did survive it. But there were many nights I wish I didn't because it would have been easier not to. And I get really upset when I see these videos, because this is the one that gets me, is when people are like, you're not a victim. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yes and no. Right. Yes. So victim, huge. So huge, 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 huge. There is a place where the victim story is empowering. And that is in our innocence, right? When we're connected to our innocent self, that place of like something and someone Mm -hmm. should have protected me because I was innocent. I was in a place of innocence. To have that viewpoint of victim is whole and holy and Mm -hmm. kind and empowering. Because what we're doing is we're honoring the beauty and the power of innocence, which is incredibly Mm -hmm. important and counterculture. Because we are told that innocence is something that is to be broken and dominated and is childish and problematic. Even your teens. I want to say 18, but it's really like when you hit 13, you're not supposed to be innocent anymore. Yeah, right. The shaming, it's like, don't be so innocent. And it's like, innocence Mm -hmm. is incredibly whole. It is incredibly important. It is the thing that allows us to love and forgive the people in our lives over and over and over again. And that is what allows us to have lasting intimacy because nobody's perfect. Without our innocence, without our unbridled optimism that says, let's give it another go, right? Or the innocence that has an idea that doesn't care about possibility. That's where visionaries come from. Mm -hmm. Innocence doesn't know limitation in that way, right? And it doesn't expect attack. I want everybody to hear that right now. I want you to really listen to that statement. What would it be to live from a place that did not expect to be attacked? Oof, so free. Right? I have been training my nervous system for decades, parasympathetic nervous system dominance, to be at regular state of being in which I am not anticipating being attacked. Mm-hmm. I have worked my tail off to get it as much as I have gotten it. And mm-hmm. it has been a miracle to experience. I mean, it's what I was told nobody could have, right? Mm-hmm. It's like what we're told this lie. I was going to say myth. We are told a lie, right? Mm-hmm. That innocence is dumb. Yeah. And they are not the same. I used to confuse innocence and naive. 
right? I used to think that they were synonymous, being right. innocent and naive. And they're not synonymous. Innocence is more like curiosity. Mm-hmm. It's that compassionate nature. And you can be discerning and innocent. Yes. Yes. So I had this really fascinating experience. I had last summer, I had an experience with an ex At that time, I was not fully embraced to the fact that we were exes, okay? I was like, we're in a process. I'm here for you. And my innocence, when they came back into my life, had some stuff that they were given to me that were meeting up in person. And they said, can I come stay with you? And I said, yeah. I offered. I said, I'll come to you and get it. And they said, no, I'm going to bring it to you. So they said, can I stay with you? And I said, yes. And then we ended up having this very intimate and intense connection. And then months later, they came back and said that that didn't feel good for them at all. That it felt like it went too far and they didn't feel safe. Even though I experienced this experience as tiptoeing, consent obsessed, every question, is this okay? Lots of things of being like, I didn't offer this. I didn't ask that. You offered this. You did this, right? And the realization that I had after this was that my innocence was like, I love you and I want what is possible in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. I had this healing that happened through this process. So like, thank you, teacher, right? Thank you, thank you, teacher. And I said to myself, I had this realization. I said, oh, I shouldn't have been in such intimate space with this person for so many hours because my innocent being was just going to keep saying yes and go with it and get what it wanted as much as it could, but like trying to be careful, but wanting, right? Mm -hmm. And I had this image of this new woman that erected in me, this mother in me. Mm. And I had this image of this heartbroken 16-year-old turning to her mother and saying, my ex is coming by and bringing me some of my stuff. They asked if they could spend the night and have dinner with us. And mom says, no. Mm. We're not going to host them. They broke your heart. You're still into them. You want them back. They're not coming to win you back. They're coming to give you your stuff. So you can sit on the porch and you can talk for a few hours. And if you want to see each other again, they can come back the next day and you can talk for a few hours. But no, I'm not going to host them. No, I'm not going to feed them. I'm not going to offer that space and give my care because that's what innocence do. Innocence will sign up all of your greatest gifts Mm -hmm. to someone who is not there. So for me, it was helpful to have this discerning. To me, it was that place is like, it doesn't really matter age or whatever, but that was this image for it of like this discerning energy that's like, this is not where this goes, actually. Yeah. I love that because I talk about inner child work all the time, and that to me is part of inner child work. I talk about the image like that you described of the mothering yourself, the fathering yourself, the being the adult to yourself. And there's so many layers to the inner child work because it's the sitting with the wound, but it's also the, in that situation, when you feel the innocence or the childlike wonder come up, the adult self setting the boundaries. Right. Or the 16-year-old who's like, okay, but like, maybe we can make out, you know, I miss them and I have chemistry and it's just being like, yeah, chemistry. It's a thing. I like the way this person smells. That's a chemistry thing. Yeah. I'm near them. It's going to do things to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's funny because then we grow and change and sometimes those things shit. Yeah. Right. And that's one of those things of just whether we're healing shame or healing trauma or healing anything that we shift, we shift mm-hmm. in those places. And then what we find attractive or what, you know, I'm having this incredible experience with this lover right now, unprecedented for me. I've never taken three years to get to know someone before becoming really kind of 
I don't know how do I say this? Because we were friends before and then it was like this, oh, we have some chemistry and we'd like see each other a couple times a year and was very intentional and very limited and controlled in how much physical intimacy we really like brewed or cooked together. And then we'd have this space. And over the past six months, it's been more and more of this communication, emotional support and resource. As you can imagine, that's one of my greatest gifts that I can give people when people come into my life is I'm like, I'm here for you right? Yeah. I can hear and my wisdom is here for you and I'm here for you. And so to have a process move slow enough that I don't freeze in the intimacy mm. is a result of all of these things. I have this thing that I say to people now when I meet new people that I have chemistry with. I do this thing now where I get to know people before I make out with them or put them inside my body. I'm trying it out. <laughs> trying out this new situation. Because the thing is, as psychics and intuitives and as empaths and all of these things, we have very intense connections and knowings with people very quickly. Yeah, My sweetheart calls me a demi-slut. So a demisexual, for people who don't know, is someone who has to have an emotional connection with someone to get really turned on. And I made a joke about being like an aspiring slut has been a huge part of my reclamation of unshaming. Se this just in, in case people don't know, sex is not bad or dirty or problem and pleasure is not the issue. It's not the enemy. Naked bodies yeah. are not the enemy. Sex is not the enemy. Orgasms are not the enemy. And they are not, they don't need to be privatized and sold through legal documents called marriage. That's not what respect of innocence or care for intimacy or loving your body is. Those are different. They're different things. So mm -hmm. as part of that, I went through this process in which I was really embracing this phrase of de-shame, you know, unshaming and de-shaming and being like, I'm an aspiring slut. I'm going to wear lingerie in public and I'm going to wear red lipstick at noon on a Tuesday and all of these things and just being like, I'm going to be in my sexuality and not apologize for it mm. and then go home and cry and weep and weep or like get dressed and then sit in the car and have a panic attack and being like, I can't go into a coffee shop like this. I can't go into a coffee shop like this, you know, and then being like, I can. I'm free. I'm not a problem. Having cleavage is not a problem. So liking my cleavage is not a problem, okay? And one of the things that I discovered is that chemistry, the sex chemistry. And I don't even mean if we have like actual body touching, touching sex, being inside that energy with someone. Mm -hmm. And I really do sharing fluids. Again, this is just in fluids carry vibrational frequencies, very powerful. So when we share anything, saliva or, you know, juices or things like that, we're doing dosing. We're really dosing each other before we even get to like a climactic orgasmic level of coming, which is a whole nother level of vibrational coding that we're navigating. So you have this experience with someone, you meet them, you have this intuitive, you're like, I can feel you. I know you. You're a soulmate, right? I've known mm. you a million times. We're here. It feels so good. And I mean that with like such respect, like our literal star cluster light beings light up and our eyes get sparkly and our mouths start dripping. And we're like, oh, it feels so good to be near you. Like, this is so fun. This is so great. So it makes a lot of sense to be like, this feels so good. Sex is not the problem. Let me open my legs. Let's have a good time. <laughs> this just in, knowing someone on a soul level is not the same as knowing someone on a daily behavioral mm -hmm. biochemical level. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they are going to act as this person. If I knew them in that other life and that other life and that other life, then I know a frequency and there's a home and there's a beauty there. But I still don't know what they're going to be like, A, when they get a cold, which is like the classic. Or I don't know what they're going to be like when I activate all their stuff and I'm their mother, Yeah, you know? And I don't know what they're going to be like when that high comes down. And I don't know mm -hmm. what they're going to be like when that high takes them past and they have an identity crisis unless I get 
to know them. And what mm-hmm. happens when we merge our energies and we merge in our sex fields like that is that we feel like we've known someone for a thousand years. And then when we when they do something that we didn't expect, we can get very upset and very hurt because it is surprising to us. Mm-hmm. And that's very confusing, right? It can be very confusing. And so as I've learned and unshamed this parts of being like, oh, you know what I need? I need someone who can handle their emotions and not spill them on to me on a, on yeah. a regular, actually. You know, that's what I need for my inner circle, right? I don't need people mm-hmm. who are learning to be different. Learn. Get a lot of help like I did. Thank you, all of my teachers. Walk with the people who can walk with you. But my job now, knowing what I know, is to regulate who I share myself with in this way. You know, And so I've been taking this journey these three years of you know having these experiences where it's like, oh, one of us would get triggered or something about earth time is really magical. I watched them go through, uh, both of us are ethically non-monogamous. So I watched them go through this you know, breakup heartache thing that took months and months and months for them to kind of move through. And then I watched them stabilize and then I watched them meet someone new. And then I watched them navigate that. And then I watch them. I watch this stuff with their family and not super close. But again, this is where the gift of being an empath and an intuitive and a psychic is. I got a lot of information, even in small amounts over time about who they are. And then I got to see how they change. And this is very important when we're looking for peers to do intimate relating with. And this is really just a shame in a number of different ways. But It's very important that we have companions that will heal with us. Yes. Because many people will look at the healing that you want to do and go, that's so neat. Yeah. And they're not there. Yeah. They're not there. And some people aren't there and they're going to get there. And some people are not going to get there. This is my innocence. I used to think everybody I knew wanted to heal. I did too. I had to go through a grieving process of learning that they didn't. Huge grieving process. And that they weren't going to change. Weren't going to change. I said, I thought everybody 10 years from now would be different. Yeah. And what I've learned is that 20 years from now, a bunch of people are doing the same things that they're doing. And these people are completely different beings like I am. Yeah. Right. But here's the other thing about shame. I want to be very clear about. I've also come to a place of when I meet people and I say, some of my older friends and I say, do you have anything they want to tell me? And they go, I don't really want to get into it right now. And I go, great. Because if you can sleep at night, even a little bit and wake up and show up to your life and you're okay with that right now, that's enough. Mm -hmm. This idea that you have to go after, like my agenda on myself and my healing even had a shaming, bullying element to it. And I'm like, you know what the hardest thing to do ever in my entire life has been? Being conscious. Yeah. Shit is fucking hard. Yeah. It is excruciating. Walking in faith, blowing up my life over and over again because (laughs) spirit was like, we're going this way. Because my mission was to go to a place of consciousness and service that was beyond. And I look at other people and I go, I wish that on no one. I dedicate the results to everyone, right? But I wish that on no one. And so like when people can say to me, things are going good and I'm just kind of riding it. I'm just going to like coast for a little while. I'm like, great. That's great. That's great. You know, and I have so much more appreciation for myself now of just being like, I'm having a good time. I'm just going to let it ride. Or like, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to let it ride. Like I'm going to show up to my practices and I'm going to work it, but I'm not going to go after it. I'm going to let myself be as I am in this way. And that's been really important for my peace. 
Yeah. To not be so aggressive with myself or others. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been my last three months. I read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Oh, and great he- book. Yeah. It's like I realized my upper limit problems, right? And it was really that in my meditations, the messages I keep getting are like, how long can you sustain your happiness, Amanda? Like, how long can you just allow yourself to be happy before you yell at your partner for literally no reason because things are going so well right now? Like, how long can we sustain it? And I'm like, I'm up to a few days. Yes, I hire that. It was mind blowing for me when I first hit a few days in a row. I was like, whoa, (laughs) whoa. Whoa. I just got weird about it. Yeah. I mean, that was years ago now, you know, and it's still the same practice, right? But with that practice, having more and more of just being like, it's real. I'm telling you, it's real. I think it's very important to use this sentence. I didn't think inner peace or happiness were real things. Yeah. I didn't think they were real. I didn't want to kill myself, particularly. I stopped thinking about suicide when I was nine. That's when I stopped. I had pre- verbal images of ending my own life from when I was a very small child. And I walked myself to the kitchen, looked at all the knives, freaked myself out and said, I'm not going to do it. And so that was when I was like eight or nine. And then I never really contemplated again. I just waited to go home. That was what I signed up for. At nine, I was like, I'll just wait it out. And in my early 30s, I started to be afraid of death for the first time. And I got so excited. (laughs) I was like, oh, Oh my God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to die. That's a newsflash. Like, I don't want to die. I want to stay alive. I had to come up with whole new coping skills. Yes. To figure out how to like want to be here. And so I decided my prayer that I used for that when that started to rise in me was like, okay, God, greatest impact in or out of body. I trust you. If I'm better of service out my body, take me anytime. But if I can do it here, I want to stay, I want to live, I want to be alive, and I'm here for it. I trust you, you know? And that would be my comfort prayer. Mm. Yeah, I love how you said you didn't believe in happiness because mine was like the opposite. But at 23 was when I sort of woke up. I talk about all the time. My friend died. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, I am wildly unhappy. Like, what Uh is this life? I describe it as the lights got turned on in a room and the room's a mess. And I'm like, how did I get here? When did the room get messy? Who broke the window? That's right. And so my goal at 23 became to become happy. I was like, I don't care what, I'm going to follow the happy. But I mean, for the next seven years, I was like, still not happy, still not happy, still not happy. Is this a fantasy? It was actually in January. I had one of those divine moments. This is how it usually happens for me is I have a big breakthrough, like, and I felt ecstatic bliss. And I had all these divine Mm. knowings, like, oh, I was always enough. Like it just embodied in me. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I was always enough. Everything else is extra. And like, oh, I'm of service because I want everybody else to get here. There's no competition. There's no rush. If you want to come, you're coming. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But then I shrunk. I shrunk up because I felt so big that then I thought I was going to feel like that forever. I always think that. And then all of a sudden, all this unworthiness came to the surface. Yeah. And it was like, do you really believe you're enough? I love that. I love that because the the expansion contraction Mm -hmm. rhythm, right? And it's like we have these visions and then we know where we're going. And then everything that's in between us and that vision gets to come up and we get to sort it. You know, one of my favorite things that I heard years ago now, this woman was talking and she was saying that when we have really big visions, a lot of the time we think, 
I'm not the person who can do that. Mm. And she's like, that's the point of a vision. You will become the person who completes that vision by walking with that vision, right? And when you're in the midst of that vision being lived, you'll be a person that you're not now. You'll be a different person and you'll have another vision and you'll say, I'm not that person, Mm, right? Like I'm not that person. And I'm having this exquisite experience right now for those, I don't know if you've done this, Amanda, and those of you listening, doing the experiences of traveling to your future self, Mm -hmm. doing meditations where you like meet your future self. I've been having these experiences for the past two years. I'm like, oh my God, I'm her. Like I'm her. She's the one that was talking to me. I'm That's now. I mean, it's been magical. I found a drawing that I did when I was a child. And it's the story of this child weeping at the edge of her bed. And this beautiful lady shows up with this hair and these wings. And she climbs down on the floor with this little Sophia. And and she held me so close. It's like we were one being. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, this is what I wrote, this little story. And she said, hi, I'm your, but my little Sophia cut her off and said, I know, guardian angel. And little Sophia said, what shall I call you? And the way that I tell the story now is that I said to her, you can call me anything you like. Most people call me Sophia. Mm. But that's what she wrote in that story. Her guardian angel said to her, you can call me whatever you'd like, but most people call me Sophia. And I read that story after I had had the deepest dip. And if anybody wants to hear the journey of the deepest dip, the revisited deepest dip, And 2020, when the shutdown happened, I did all of these episodes with all of these medicine callers. And I just was like, yo, this is so hard. And I was in a heartbreak at that point that had just demolished me before the shutdown happened. Mm -hmm. I literally was taking the inhale when the shutdown happened. And I said, this was the most painful experience that I had been through since I had had my like deep mental health awakening breakdown that I'd had at 19. I said, but this time I had all the skills. And so instead of taking seven Mm. years, it took me seven months. I kept referring to it as the fastest dark night of the soul of my life, Mm -hmm. right? And it was amazing because I used my deck and my book as a major tool in that time. And I had just finished it in January. I was like, well, I really trust this work now. (laughs) I can really stand by it now. Like it worked then and it worked again. It worked this time. I turned to those pages. I was like, tell me, Sophia, like, tell me what you know. I didn't have to learn the practices, but I had to do them. And I did them and I did them. And all these episodes of talking to all these people that were having these same experiences, practitioners of 20 years, 30 years, 15 years going like, yo, this is rough. I'm practicing like the old, old Buddhist say, practicing like my hair is on fire, right? Mm -hmm. Of just like practicing and practicing and practicing. And so I had had that seven months at the end of that seven months is when I found that paper. Wow. And I read that story and I had spent more time time going back and pulling that inner child and pulling those wounds in to this being who said, I love you. There is no shame here. There's no apology. You are enough. You're doing enough. It's not your fault. Come home to me. Turn away from these people who are doing their best but cannot hold you and turn to me because I can hold you like nobody else could hold you. I can hold you. And I held her and I held her. And then I found this drawing, this story of me finding her. Wow, that's so beautiful. And what a divine timing to find that story. 
yeah. With what you were saying too, like with doing it, doing the work we talk about in December, I had a similar experience. Well, I don't know if it's similar, but I had an experience with my inner child where she was like, we've processed so many memories. Can you just sit with me? Oh, congratulations. Amanda, that's like a, let's say, I feel like weird saying this, but I'm like, that's like a thing. That's like a level. That's a level thing. That's so wonderful. Oh my God. I'm so excited for you. That's so important because now oh, I'm crying because what she's going to do, the more time you spend with her, that's when her in is, that's her creative, her generative, her play with me, her like, you know, what feels really good. I mean, our inner children have the sensual knowledge of what brings our body health and pleasure and heart connection and good relating. Like, I mean, the wisdom is so there and it absolutely comes from that spaciousness, from that being like we have to clean up, right? It's like, it's hard to have a dance party and we do, we have a dance party in a messy room, you know, but it's a very different dance party when it's a clean room, if we've cleaned the floor space. Yeah. And the image that I get is her like sitting in this room of you, just like sit with me. I hope this is landing well for you. I just celebrate it. I just honor you. I honor her. I am so grateful that you are together and that you are with your own heart in that way. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for honoring that. We don't need outside validation, but sometimes it's just nice when somebody just gets it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For me, it's like celebration, right? Yeah. It's like I'm not validating. It's real. Yeah. It reminds me to slow down and be like, yeah, that is, you know, like that's an accomplishment, Amanda. Don't have to rush through it. Right. Like that's an arrival point. Like that's a thing. You know what I mean? That's a, that's yeah. a huge thing. And that's this thing of like, I didn't think happy was real. I didn't think inner peace was real. Like I just thought they were things that we talked about or that we would like aim for that they were visiting things. But this idea of don't miss it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And then we're gone. It doesn't matter if I drop my body in one minute or one million years, this is a precious moment. Scarcity yeah. is not what makes things precious. Yes. That is a lie. Yeah. Water is not precious because it, a lot of it's poisoned. Water is precious. Period. End of sentence. Children are not precious because there's only so many of them. They're children. Yeah. That's why they're precious. They are yeah. spending every minute of every day building an entire body while also learning how to be a human while also being a star galactic soul body coming and vibrationally pulsing inside this web. They're precious. That's why they're precious. We, grown adults and elders, are precious. Yeah. Not because we're scarce, because we're precious. That's why we're precious. For me, it's like we're all aspects of God and God is precious, magnificent and all these other things, right? Mm -hmm. And we are all that and we're no better than anything else because what flows through me flows through the tree outside and through the rocks on the ground and through the ocean. And it's this beautiful web of life, which makes everything, it's like the concept that everything is special and not special, but also special at the same time, right? You don't have to make something special, yeah. right? Things just are. And yeah. so if if it is and we're in it we want to look at special things, it's special, it's real. It's here. I have a song that just popped in my head. Should I sing it? Yeah. Okay. We are not separate from the clothes we wear. We are not separate when we breathe this air. Or from the ground we walk upon. Or from the heat that keeps us warm. We are in this together. We are in this together. 
We are in this together. We are in this together. We are not separate from the ocean's waves. We are not separate from the deep, dark caves. Or from the blueness of the sky. Or from the birds as they fly. We are in this together. 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 We are not separate from the ceremonies or from the people and their dreams. We are not separate from the cow as she lays her calf. We are in this together. 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 We are not separate from the speaking trees. We are not separate from the songs they sing. We are not separate from the bells ringing. We are the weaving of everything. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks. That was so beautiful. I feel like that's such a great way to end this. I feel like, yeah, you kind of took my breath away in a good way. I feel like that song says it all, you know. Oh, thank you for your work, Amanda. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your work, dear listener, wherever you are. I honor your courage and your curiosity. And we are in this together. Every time you choose love and lay down a weapon, you make this world a safer place for me and all my babies. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Peace, darlings. Thank you to everyone who listened to today's episode, and I just wanted to give a special shout out again to Sophia. Thank you so much for joining me here on New View Advice, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Your authenticity and your vulnerability are beautiful and courageous. I am just so grateful to know you, and thank you for all that you do. If you enjoyed today's episode, or if you are interested in connecting more with Sophia Wiseone, you can reach out to her at www.sophiawiseone.com or you can find her on Instagram at Sophia Wiseone. Thank you again for listening to another episode of New View Advice. As always, I hope we were able to offer you a new view on whatever you may be going through. See you next time.